I got an insight from the Word of God in January, and I thought probably it was for Bill Gothard, not for me. So I called Bill. Uh, Bill and I have been friends since 1967 and uh, have been friends all these years. <clears throat> and so I, I gave him the insight, and uh, he didn't get excited. So I don't know if you get excited about secondhand insights for you, you know, but it was for us. We had no idea. And the uh, insight was from Ecclesiastes, the end will be better than the beginning. And I had no idea what that meant. Uh, Paul uh, is an Australian uh, who's with me, been at our office for four years. We also have a student from IMI right now doing an internship with us, uh, a graduate, graduate from IMI. But Paul decided we should go on the web. And I wasn't sure... You know, being old, web, what's the point? Well, we been, went on the web, and we started counting, and since last April, 20,000 people have downloaded my messages in 47 countries. And China was the very last one. So we are, I mean, I've been to, traveled all over the world, but I've never been to 47 countries. And it's sort of amazing. Our little office is about the size of a postage stamp. And we're having a worldwide ministry, and it's just, it, it's mind-boggling. It really is. I'm so grateful to the Lord that, and then we have now a way that you can go on my website, push a button, and listen to my messages in 57 different languages, two different Chinese dialects. This new computer stuff is like creepy. It really is. <laughs> For me. Okay, I'm going to sit down because my knees are as old as I am, and uh and that's saying something. Uh, I um, I was praying about coming here. You know, what what am I going to do? Uh, I don't have much time. Um, now I can see them. It's, I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, and I thought, you know, we this this notebook right here. Is just on the Lord's Prayer. Just materials I have in the Lord's Prayer by itself. Our prayer notebook has a hundred and, what is it? Where's it? 200. Yeah, 277 pages or something is what we gave out in the North Woods to the dads that took a prayer retreat. So prayer is a big subject. That's just notes from books. I've read uh, about 170, 175 books I owe on prayer. And some are really good and some are not. But I've gathered that stuff and put it because I want in my prayer life, I realize my, I'm a doer. There are people that are doers and then prayer people. And I'm more of a doer. I have uh, all kinds of energy. And so you pray for me, I'll go out there and I'll do it. But then God says, hey, Logan, it's about time you start praying. You know, and uh, I'm not against doing, but my prayer life was lousy. And uh, so I had to begin to work on how do I develop a halfway decent prayer life. And uh, so as I was praying for you guys, I thought I'd just do the Lord's Prayer both days. And that's just cracking a little bit. I mean, you can't do justice to the Lord's Prayer in two hours. You need to go through each aspect of that and look into it. And, I mean, it's unbelievable. It is the prayer. And, uh, <clears throat> but that's not what the Lord led me. And uh, it was amazing. I was doing, uh, I'm going to give you a thing on doing this, what we call meditative or listening prayer. 
and how to listen to what God's direction. And God didn't direct me that way. And I thought, okay, God, I'm open. You know, you know these guys. I don't. And beautiful girls and ugly guys. You know them. I don't know who they are. And you know what their need is. And so I'm trusting your Holy Spirit to show me what I need to emphasize the first day and emphasize the second day. And so God led me to first uh, John. Now, uh, if you have a Bible, you may want to jot down some of these verses. Um, I also read Bibles, and I have um, 74, is it 74, Paul? I have 74 different Bibles, and I just got a new one, and uh, this new Bible is now not available, and it's the name of the Lord Bible, or God's name Bible. It's really, I love it. You can't get it. I, you know, they, they, they only had two left at CBD. And they weren't getting a get anymore. So I don't know what happened. But the gal that wrote it is really excellent. In fact, I'm reading a book by her on the airplane coming here. Uh, I like to read on the plane if I can. But let's go to First John. And it, it kind of sets the whole thing when I got this. And, I, you know, when, you, when, when God gives you something, you can't walk away from it. You know, it just like gets in your head. And it just goes around and around and around. But in First John chapter 3... Six and seven. Now, I like the new translations. In fact, uh, we're being DVD'd, I can't tell you. Uh, when we're done, I'll tell you. Uh, but I was surprised. Anyway, I like the new translations. The one I'm finishing now is the uh, ERSV, uh, the English Revised Version. And I read all the notes. So I know three of the, or four of the note guys that did the notes. So I look to see who wrote the notes. Then I can trust the notes at least in that, because I know who they are. Um, and so when I, I know a number of these guys and also knew the schools they were picked from, then I go, this book's going to be, this is going to be pretty accurate in the notes. I mean, you've got to use your own discretion because people write from their perspective. You understand that, don't you? I'm going to teach from my perspective. And if you don't agree, that's fine. But receive the word of God. You know, that, that's the key. It's, it's God's word. But we have a perspective. We can't help it. We just all have a perspective. Um, okay, in First John 3, um, 6 and 7. Uh, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So, what God jumped out at me is to teach you abiding and the benefits of abiding, which prayer is a part of all that. And uh, you will get a paper uh, from the Greek New Testament word abide, and it's a, a, it's a good book. It's a book put together by Zodiotis Group, and it's a devotional book, and they take one Greek word a day for a whole year. And the whole page is what that word means. Uh, I forget what it's called, but anyway, I think it's in the back of the paper you're going to get, not today, but tomorrow. You look at the bottom, it'll tell you the name of the book. And if you're not a Greek person, but it's kind of interesting to say, I didn't know that word was so powerful. You know, in English, it just didn't do it. But in the Greek, you're going, this means so much more than I ever would have known. But abide means just to remain, to dwell, to abide, just to be there. 
to abide. And so um, he says, no one who abides keeps on sinning. You got a sin problem? What's God's answer? Anybody listening? Abiding, isn't it? I don't care all the steps that you get, and the books you get, and all of that. God says, if you're abiding, the more you abide, the less you're going to fail in sin. It's that simple. I mean, you've got to believe the Word of God, guys. And whenever you read anything, you've got to take it to the Word of God. Does this line up with what God says? This is it. God has given you everything for life and godliness. It's all in this book. It's all here. It's not how much scripture you know. It's how much scripture have you internalized. Do you understand that? I mean, you can rattle off verses like crazy, but what does that mean to you? How did it change your life? Then all you did is what? You give mental assent to biblical truth. That's not going to change your life. That's the beginning, but that's not going to change your life. Uh, I... When I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, I studied to be an x-ray technician and a lab technician at Cedar sinai Hospital in L.A., the big movie star hospital, and I was really thrilled as an unbeliever seeing all the major movie stars. They all got sick. It was wonderful. I come home, who did you see today? Who was down in your department today? Well, Marilyn Monroe came, and we didn't recognize her. We didn't recognize her. Um, she wasn't really very attractive without all the makeup. Her hair looked like straw. You know, they had... Bleach it so bad. I mean, you look like you grabbed it, it'd fall apart in your hand. You know. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, for an unsafe person, that was really thrilling for me to see all these movie stars all the time down there and be disappointed in a lot of them. He's so bullegged. He's so short. <laughs> the way they, they have some of these guys, and they walk with girlfriends, they walk on a platform. You know, because the girl's taller than he is, and he can't be looking up to a girl. That's not, you know, he's got to look down on it. Uh, crazy stuff. But anyway, you could be eating like crazy and starving to death. Because if you don't have the enzymes in your stomach that digest and breaks down the food, it will not become a part of who you are. And meditation, which I'm so glad to see up here, is part of what? The breaking down the word of God so I can absorb it. So it begins to change my life. Scripture was given not for you to be an intellectual arguer. There's a lot of those out there. You know, I'll show you how smart I am. I can tie you up because I know when, when the rapture is, what day and hour and everything. I know that. Oh, good. Praise God. I hope you're ready for it. You know, <clears throat> but you know, a lot of people, it's just to argue or to let you know how smart they are. And I have a terrible time memorizing. So if I memorize a verse, I finally get it because it's forever because I have dyslexia and I also have another learning disability, which makes memorizing very, very difficult for me. But I knew I had to go there and I was going to have to wrestle with memorizing. But uh, I, I can't memorize reams and reams of scripture. My wife and I were memorizing Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I got Matthew 5, 1, 2, 3 when she was through with all three chapters. I thought, I'm not, I can't let this woman beat me. I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm not entering into a contest with my wife who just zoop right through Scripture. I'm going, and she gets it, too. I'm married to a very godly woman, very, very godly woman. Um, okay, so um, also he says here that 
if I keep on sinning, I haven't seen him and I don't know him. And know him is gnosko there. It's know by experience. I can know about the Lord, right? I mean, I knew about Verity. And I had been in this building when this was a basketball gym, this room right here. You know, you were in here. And I'm going, well, be to the poor people that get this place. I mean, it was a disaster. It's not a disaster now, but it was really a disaster. The hallways, I thought, I'm not sure I got all my shots up to date. Should I, you know, stay here overnight? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, this place has been transformed. It's unbelievable. But, you know, um, you're very fortunate to be here, but learn more than what you're supposed to learn. Do you understand? I mean, you can pass the test if you're smart. Your brother's smart. Your brother's smart. In fact, I got this family mixed up with the family in, in Washington, D.C. When you guys sent me a picture of all these kids, it's so good. I'm glad you had some brothers in there because when people are really demonized, I show them the pictures of the brothers and the demons scream and run right out. It just, our, our, our counseling goes so fast, you know. <clears throat> um, but I need to internalize the Word of God. And abiding is a process of internalization. I have to abide. I mean, it's so important. Um, so, Number one, there are three things the scripture says abiding will do for me. The first thing is, number one, it will keep me from sin. And, you know, you're saying, I've got a sin issue in my life, and I pray about it, and I pray about it, and I pray about it, and it, it's always there. Why? Isn't God, doesn't God have more power? Is the issue a lack of God's power? No. I mean, look what he's done. I mean, he's awesome. He just said, peace be still, and the waves stop. You know, amazing guy. So when God allows me to have a nagging issue in my life that I wish wasn't there, he is sovereign. God is in control. He's always been in control. And he's allowing it to be there for a reason. And maybe it's, that's the only thing that will get you abiding, is this issue. You know, it will drive me to the Lord to abide because he's promised that if I start spending time with him, then the sin issue is not going to have near the hold on me if I, as if I don't. Am I making some sense, kids? If I call you kids, I'm calling kids, they're probably in their 20s. They're still kids. You know, I'm almost 80. I'll be 80 next year. So treat me with respect because I'm elderly and uh, you guys are just kids as far as I'm concerned. You know, I've got... <laughs> Grandkids older than you guys, you know. So. It's not well. I'm, it just falls out. I did an IMI too. It just falls out because every time I taught college, I always refer to them as college kids or whatever. It's not a put down, much of a put down. Okay. Now, another thing that I I, I want you to go with abiding because I can see the benefits of doing something. It's a motivation to do it. It really is because it's going to take time. I mean, it's not normal for me to abide. To abide with a girlfriend? You can't do that here. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? If you, if you like a girl, you want to walk with her, you want to find out who she is, and you know, find out if she's got a boyfriend, and, you know, uh, does her father have lots of money? You know, the important stuff. 
about these relationships. But see, it's so easy when, when there's a, a romantic attraction, but just to abide with God? I mean, it just doesn't have a lot of pull. I mean, it doesn't seem like it. So God said, I'll tell you the benefits of this. And if you need these benefits, then that will motivate you to keep going. Most of us are good starters with God. But we're not consistent. You know, I'm going to, I'm whatever, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and it lasts for a week maybe. And then I'm back to the same old stuff again. And so I need more than that. I'm going to try and give you some stuff to help you to really make time out of your abiding time. Okay. Now, go to the Gospel of John. Because as I read that, the abide jumped out. And I'm going, that's what God wants me to talk about. Then I thought, well, abiding is in the Gospel of John. I ought to go to John. And God led me to John and some verses there. But... um, John chapter um, 8, verse 31. Then Jesus, to be sure I'm at 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And the word continue there is abide in my word. In a more modern translation, it say, If you abide in my word, then you'll be my disciple. So I am to abide what? In God's word. Why is, why is the Lord's word important? When I went to Bible school, they said the gospels were not important. That was the worst thing they ever told me in Bible school. I went to a Bill's seminar. What's it on? The gospels. It's full of it. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, all this stuff he was doing. I'm sitting there going, how come he's teaching like this? I mean, I'm a pastor. Well, Bible school said that the Gospels weren't important. It's Paul's epistles. What's it say in Timothy? Chapter 6, I think verse 7. That we base sound teachings on the words of Christ and that which leads to Christ-like living. How do I know, how do I know if this is lining up with truth if I don't know what Christ said? You hearing me? Uh, Ray Vanderlaan, we, which Paul gave me my Christmas present er, early, but at least he didn't give me the bill for it. And it's a video, uh, Walking in the Dust of the Disciple. It is absolutely fabulous. And uh, I've heard Ray Vanderlaan before. But Ray Vanderlaan, you know, is probably one of the top guys as far as Jewish culture and the rabbinical system and all of that that's out there today. You can learn a lot because, remember, the Bible was not written to Americans. So we put a Western spin on it, but the more we understand the culture, we understand deeper things that Jesus was saying. Why did Jesus tell the lady uh, in Samaria that if she would, he would give her living water? Because the Jews have two words for water, dead water and living water. Living water is anything that moves and comes down. Dead water comes out of a well or, uh, or, it's not, or a cistern that's not moving. He didn't offer her dead water. He offered her what? Living water. And immediately they knew what he's talking about, but she had a problem. You know, there's not a creek in Samaria. So there's no living water running through Samaria. So how is he going to get it? And she's going to get drawn. I don't know how he could draw because it's really dead water. She was really struggling. Jesus said that if I would follow him out of my innermost beings, would what? Flow what kind of water? Living water, not dead water. Living water would spring up. It's a spring springing up in me. 
So, I mean, just little things like that, knowing, you know, Jewish culture, Jewish history, all of that stuff, the Bible just comes more and more alive. Well, anyway, Ray Vanderlaan, uh, there is three Taurus types of, let me look at here, I got a word. Uh, there's three types of rabbis. There is the rabbi that has the, the services. Then there is a rabbi that's more of a, of a teaching rabbi. And then there is the teaching, teaching rabbi. Remember Paul said, I studied under who? Gamaliel. He was the Einstein. He was the guy. And when Jesus was teaching, the people had a fit. What did they say? How can he teach? He never sat under a teaching rabbi. What authority does he have to teach? That's what they were saying. Who did you sit under? What's your college? You know, what degree do you have? What, what, what are your papers? How can you teach us? Okay. Well, <clears throat> the teaching rabbis were few. They'd be at the temple or whatever. The practicing rabbis would be out in the area. Well, Ray Vandalon heard, uh, I gotta tell you this, cause you guys, you wanna, you wanna follow a rabbi? If you wanted to be a disciple in Bible days, Every guy had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. That was just a must, to go through the bar mitzvah, you know, to be a 13-year-old. 13, 13 but if you wanted to be a teaching rabbi, you had to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. That's if you wanted to possibly be a teaching rabbi, you had to memorize it. And you would go to the class, and usually by 16, you had memorized the rest of it. You had, by 12, you should have memorized the first five books, and then by 16, the rest of the Old Testament. Then you would go and you would sit in the back of the class. If the teaching rabbi never acknowledged you, then you had to go home. You know, you just weren't part of the class. For some reason, he didn't acknowledge you. But if he acknowledges you, then you're part of the class. But if you ever fail a teaching rabbi, you're out of there. You go back to fishing. You go back to working with your dad. You go back where? One failure, that's it. You're out. That's the way it was. Well, Ray Van Lung found that there was a teaching rabbi in New York City. There's two in the United States, one in New York and one in California, in Los Angeles. So he, because they know all the stuff he's done pro-Jew and all the stuff he's done about Israeli culture, all the videos and things he's got out there, that they allowed him to go to New York City, but he had to sit in the back of the class and not talk. He said about talking to a young man about Jeremiah, and he quoted the verses around Jeremiah, and they don't, he didn't have a Bible. That's how much he knew. Can you imagine I give you guys a verse in Jeremiah and you tell me the verses surrounding it? He was a little bit impressed <laughs> when these young men are learning to be, you know, they're going to be teaching rabbis. Well, he never acknowledged that Ray Vandalam was there. But one day he said this, and this, a knife went into my heart. He said, He's telling his students, you know, I'm quite amazed. Do you know that Christians called Jesus their teaching rabbi? Mm -hmm. They all knew that. Mm -hmm. And they don't even read his words once a year. And a knife went in my heart. I, I got tears in my eyes. You know how the Holy Spirit can speak to you? And I made, not a commitment, because commitments can be broken. I mean, let your vows be few, let your promises be few, because Satan goes right after them, and you go, <laughs> so I didn't. But God knows my heart. Lord, I want to read your word, the Gospels, over and over and over again. And I've been doing that for a couple of years now. It's been such a blessing. I'm not reading the rest of the Bible, too. I'm not just reading the Gospels, but I'm reading the... Why is that important? 
Say, I went to school. Who was the most important that you needed to know? Paul. Right? Paul's teachings. Well, I just said this. This may be heresy. It's going on this video, and I'll get a lot of letters from people saying I'm nuts. You don't need to send me a letter. I already know I'm nuts, and so do the ones sitting here know I'm nuts. But this is what I believe. If we base all teachings on the words of Christ, you've got to believe that. And if it will lead me to be godlike, then I, then I need to receive that teaching. Then I think Paul's epistles, what they are, is taking the teachings of Jesus and applying them to life situations at Ephesus, Colossae, and so on. If we base all sound teachings on the words of Christ. That just came in, but I think about stuff a lot. You know, I kept thinking, it's got to be. I mean, that's got to be, the, where's the final authority? It's not just what Paul said. That's not what the scripture is. It's what Jesus said. It's the final authority. And if you struggle with Paul, well, go with Jesus. Because it will fit. It's just that right now I can't seem to get it, you know, I can't get around it like, like I want to get it. Okay, that was all free. Okay. So we're to abide in his uh, word, and his word is to abide in me. In John uh, chapter 8, 31, did we read that? I don't even remember. Um, then said Jesus, those who believe in him, if you continue in my word, abide in my word, you will be my disciple indeed. You'll be a follower if you abide in my word. Uh, because what will I follow? Well, I follow what goes on up here. My decisions are made by what I have up here. And if the information is inaccurate, I won't make right decisions. So I need to engraft God's word up there. Go to John 15:5. We see a couple more things that if I abide, that God has promised to do. Okay, John 15:4. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more you except you abide in me. What's he saying? Fruit bearing. You know, if you're not bearing fruit in your life, you're not abiding. I mean, we're talking about spiritual fruit. I mean, there's people that are really good evangelists, and you know that you can serve Christ in the flesh and be successful as far as crowds and all that go. A lot of times you can't tell except for the lasting results, whether it's in the flesh or in the spirit. I'm reading a book now by a guy that, was one of the great evangelists. His books uh, sold, I think, a million copies on evangelism, all this stuff. And he did not have a relationship with Christ. And he wrote a book about it. I read it on the airplane. He didn't have a relationship. An intimate relationship. You know I mean? He knew who he was. I mean, he's, like he says, I have more degrees than a thermometer. But I don't have any relationship with the Lord. I don't have intimacy with him. And he quit everything. Because he was lacking on the inside. You know, God was blessing his ability to communicate the gospel. But he had no walk with God. And the success was killing him. Because he was busier and busier and busier. And busyness and success is one of the greatest tools of Satan to get you defeated. You'll go down. Pride always goes before what? You just... Satan's got a hold of the rug, and it's that bath mat, and that floor is hard in there. Be careful. <laughs> you know, the, hit, the back of your head on the tub is not the most exciting experience you could have. 
but maybe it'll knock some sense in you. You know, I, I need to not look at, oh, look what I've accomplished, look what I've done, and all that, but look what God has been able to do, because you're willing to be used. Okay? So we are to, in uh, 15.7, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and you be my disciples. Okay. Abiding, when I abide in the Lord and abide in his word, then it's going to affect my prayer life. Because what I pray for will happen. Why? Because I'm praying under the direction and the will of the Holy Spirit. And if we ask anything according to his will, what? We know he hears us, and if he hears us, we can walk away knowing the answer's on the way. Remember that music? I believe the answer's on the way. You know that? Remember that chorus? I'm sorry. Being young has its great disadvantages. <laughs> but that was the song they used to sing when I was the first a Christian. I didn't become a Christian. I was almost 20. I didn't even. I never gone into a church except the Catholic Church once, and I thought it was like a museum, but I thought the windows were pretty, you know. Uh, but, you know, I was the least unlikely candidate, an alcoholic dad, uh, a mother who was baptized Lutheran. You know, um, for me to get saved, it was definitely God. I mean, how would God find me in Los Angeles? It's amazing. When I wasn't looking. I was not looking for religious experience at all. So I believe in the sovereignty of God, and somehow God was involved there. So God promises victory. If you abide, God promises victory over or answers to prayer. And when you start getting answers to prayer, you know, that's one of the most thrilling things to encourage you to pray. It really is. You know, when, that when I pray and I see it can make a difference. And that God is answering my prayers. And because I am abiding in his word, I can pray according to scripture. Is it God's will any should be lost? No. Remember, what's his name? The, you know, the guy that was in uh, England that had the orphanages. George Mueller. Had a prayer list of 55 people he prayed for their salvation. Five got saved after he died. The last five. He was praying according to the will of God. You know, and, and uh, I remember uh, I was staying in Maui, Hawaii, and I stayed in the director's house of Pacific Area Mission. He had a, a kid there, Curtis. And the first time I was there, I told Curtis, says, oh, you helped me so much, Curtis. You have no idea. He was 12. We shared the same bathroom. He said, how did I help you? I said, I left my toothbrush at home. I've been using yours all week. He goes, oh, gross. <laughs> so then I was back again when he was about 14. And uh, after I left, his, uh, his folks, he told his folks, he said, you know, remember when Logan was here? Now he's in high school. He said, he ruined my life. And I said, well, how did he ruin your life? He said, before he left, he prayed and sucked God on me. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I messed up a lot of his sinfulness in high school, I guess. And then I came back and led his girlfriend to Christ, and they got married. Uh, but, you know, it's just, just to, to be sensitive to what God wants you to do, even though it seems crazy. And I didn't know when I prayed, you know, God, get this kid. But God told me to tell him to get the kid, you know. And he did. And so 
you know, I'll, I'll ask God to, you know, sick God on people. God, get this kid. You know, he's the only one that can do it. He's going, you know, he's walked away from you. He's walked away from truth. He's walked away from everything. And Lord, I just pray, grab hold of him. Get his attention and bring him back to yourself. It's amazing to see God work in answers to prayer. Okay, now we know that if we fail Jesus, he's not going to throw us away. But remember, a disciple, who were the disciples? Remember, disciples never left the discipler. Never. They slept with them. They ate with them. If you slept on the ground, they slept on the ground. They heard every prayer he ever said. They saw everything he ever did. So when Jesus was gone, they'd get all upset. Where'd he go? Why wasn't he here? You know, we're not going to hear what he talked to the Father about as he was abiding with the Father. They didn't hear that, and they, they felt they're missing something of not being around their, their discipler because it was a lifestyle. You move in. If you're really going to disciple, you move in. That's why if you see this video, Ray Vandal, on there, six, six uh, lessons in there. He goes to the different places in Israel, and he shows you what's there and why and what was going on and so on with the disciples. Uh, and that's why, you know, it's walking in the dust of the discipler. Because that's how close they were, always. Well, remember when Jesus denied Christ, what did he do? He said, I go fishing. Why did he say, I go fishing? Because he failed, his, he failed his mentor. He failed his disciple. Jesus wouldn't want him. Remember that we told you that's what happens? If you fail, you go back and do what you've always done. And so who did Jesus go see? Peter. And remember what he said? Do you love me? You know, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, so on. Um, Jesus restored him as a disciple. He didn't ever expect it to be restored because that was not cultural. You know, you fail, that's it, you're out. You don't get a second chance. Okay, now. The, um, I was just reading. I wrote from some of the translations as I looked this verse up. Now, I want to give you something that is really excellent, and uh, we had them run it, run it off for you. Did I go way over? Am I over? Um, well, I was supposed to, was supposed to counsel at 9 o'clock someplace, somewhere. Okay. Well, um, in my journey of prayer, I like reading books that will challenge me spiritually. If they don't challenge me spiritually, I don't want to read them. I mean, I don't think they're worth it. Now, we do have what we send out every month, a monthly thing called A Word from the Word, which is just a short insight uh, a quotation from somebody or a prayer of somebody that we put together, then what's new on our website, uh, what we're putting on there now, or uh, good books to read. Uh, so if you, you know, why, I've tried to tell you a little bit about the book. If you're really interested in a certain book, like on intercession, and it's on there, then you know it's going to be one that would really speak to your heart. Well, one of the persons that I've really enjoyed reading uh, is the... Um, Richard Foster. Now, Richard Foster, I mean, I want, you want to know where he's coming from. 
Richard Foster is a, I wrote it on my paper. I'm trying to think. Um, Mennonite. No, not Mennonite. What is he? I wrote it down because I knew I'd forget. Um, they're tree huggers. Um, no, not Amish. Um, what? Quaker. Is that Paul? I, I take back going to fire you today. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and I was so, I've always been really challenged. He wrote a book on prayer, and he wrote about different aspects of prayer that just blew my mind away. And I know there's now I lay me, bless the food, and something else, but I didn't know there was all these different kinds of prayer. I had no idea. And he came out with a new book. I just read it and was really blessed by it. And that is The Sanctuary of the Soul. It's his newest book. And I have a paper for you out of the Sanctuary of the Soul, which is totally on listening prayer or meditative prayer. How do I do that? And the reason I like it, it's because it is simple. You know, if I have to remember a book this thick in order to pray, forget it. I don't have a good memory. But give me a one-pager. I can do a one-pager. You know, I can do that. Because I'm more apt to try that, and when it starts blessing me, I'll stay there as part of my abiding. Okay, here's three words you want to write down about abiding. Three steps towards abiding. And uh, they're not easy. They're easy words. The first is be still. The three B's. Be still. Second is to be quiet, and the third is to be slow. And all three of those have got to be there. And the hardest thing to do is still and quiet. Um, the we're active. I can sit quietly, but then what's going on with my mind? It's not still. All kinds of things going on. Like, how can I hear from God? He's going to have to shout. You know, so much is running around in my head. So you, you're going to have to learn to do that. It's not easy. It was very hard for me to quiet my mind. But I knew it was important. I've read enough books of people that I admire their walk with God. People that if I could sit under, study, mentor under them, I would that I look up to as really godly men and godly women that have a real walk with God, not just a, you know, a ministry. I know all kinds of people in ministry, but I know a lot of people that I would consider godly or have a walk with God. And that's what I want. You know, I mean, I don't need more keys to ministry and keys to, you know, how to take offerings and fleece the sheep and all this other stuff. Uh, now, I, 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 I want to walk with somebody that I know walks with God. And there are a few men that I do know really consistently. Because some men can write books way beyond where they are. What they write is not wrong, but they're not, you know, they're not walking in what they're writing about. Because truth is true. You know, even a, a, a liar can tell you truth and it'll be true. So, 
this stillness and quiet. Now, I met a kid this morning in the dining room when I went to get coffee early this morning. It may have been 3 o'clock in the morning, but I don't think it was. may have been. I didn't look at my watch. I'm not really telling you a lie, but uh, I doubt if it was 3 o'clock, although I was up at 3. Uh, but uh, he was sitting there with his Bible, having his what? He wasn't devoting. He was having a quiet time. There's a difference between devoting and having a quiet time, right? I'm going to devote a one. I'm devoting. Now, a quiet time is a time I want to hear God's voice. I love in the garden. I come to the garden alone. That's the only way to meet God. While the dew are on the roses. That means in the morning. <laughs> and he what? He walks with me and he talks with me. And he lets me know that I'm special to him. Maybe you're not special to anybody else. I was going to be special to somebody, but when you live with an alcoholic, you're not special at all. Just living in hell. And uh, so it wasn't hard for me to believe there was a real hell after growing up in our house. Uh, you know, just I want you to I want you to have that. I want you to have that. No one could ever talk you out of your walk with God because you know. Not because you read about it, not because you knew there could be, but you had it as a personal experience. You had God ministering to you in such an intimate, intimate way that sometimes you, you want to say, God, I don't want to stop, and I want to hold on to you to bless me. And maybe you'll limp the rest of your life. But the limp is a reminder of what? That you got a hold of God. You know, it's a wonderful thing that... God really ministered to me. You know, don't, don't be a Christian that's looking in the window at Christianity. You know? Look, at, look what could be, but I'm outside. Just enter in to a deeper walk with the Lord. And I want to give you one thing else that God gave me, and I, I was so shocked when I was getting all this abiding stuff, was Mark 3, 5. Jesus was deeply hurt. What really hurt Jesus deeply? Now, this is in the, the um, I think, the Names of God Bible, how they translate it. Uh, Jesus was deeply hurt. And the King James says, because of their, a hard heart. But they translated a lot easier because their mind were closed. And what people close their mind to Jesus? The religious people. That's who he was talking to, the Pharisees. They closed their mind. Do you have a closed mind to walking with God and getting deeper truths? How do we get a closed mind? Well, my denomination. This is not denominationally um, kosher. Uh, this is not inconsistent with my teaching. What are we basing our teaching on? See, I had to wrestle. My teachers, and these were teachers that are well-known men that wrote commentaries and everything. We had top professors that told me that the Gospels were not for today. Well, it's really hard when you 
admire the professor, and then you hear this little short guy get up that I had to pay to go hear him. The first guy I ever paid to hear, I had to pay money to hear him preach, Mr. Gothard. And he's talking about the words of Christ. Basing sound teachings. All of a sudden, I'm in a crisis, right? Here's this guy. I have no idea who he is, except my wife called him on the phone and told him all about me because he's preaching about my horrible life as a pastor. He's up there. The most convicting message I ever went to, and I paid to go there to be convicted. That is really stupid. And then, you know what I mean? It doesn't make logical sense, does it? And then I'm having a conflict between my professors at Talbot and at Biola. Wonderful schools. Now, today they don't believe that, but they did when I went there. I had a real crisis going on, right? Could I open my mind? Could I open my mind that sound teaching was based on Christ's words? Even though the Bible said it, could I open my mind? Have you guys got a closed mind to a deeper walk with the Lord? Do you understand what I'm saying? Is your church background, your affiliation, your wherever you, your homeschooling, or whatever. Do you understand? We're a victim of our teachers. Do you understand that? And you're a victim of the teachers at the school. You don't have to believe it. Just give them the answers they want. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what I told the guys at MI. They don't have to believe me. They're dumb if they don't, but they don't have to believe me. You know what I'm saying? Hey, guys, figure it out for yourself. There's no secondhand Christianity. There's no secondhand spirituality. You know, it's just like you're going to learn to swim by reading a book. You can read all the books you want to, but you get in the water... Those books aren't going to do you any good. They don't even float, you know. Do you understand? You can read all about a deeper walk. You can read all about abiding, read all about all this stuff and never do it. I'm telling you guys to what? Do it. Do it. I was telling Paul, we saw this video, and there is a Hispanic guy in there, and he said, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it, you know. I'm telling you, do that. Okay, do that. <laughs> Get your feet wet. Try it out. Now, what about listening prayer? Do you know that we're going to get into prayer tomorrow, what prayer is and what prayer isn't? Prayer is more listening than talking when you enter into a deeper prayer life. Saying, why am I going to pray? I don't know what to say. Now, I've already, I'm already talked out. I already told God. Everything. Do you know that God is not waiting for your to-do list? You're going to have to be revolutionized. You're going to have to start abiding in his presence. And then, um, this we had it run this off last night. We brought it in with us. We're fortunate to be here. We shouldn't, I should not have been here today until later on today because of all the goof-ups at the airport. Um, but he wrote this book on meditative prayer and or listening prayer. So if you can think, if you hear meditative prayer, it really means listening, prayer, being open for God speaking to you. Uh, but not, see, there is where you open yourself up for God to speak to you apart from Scripture. That's dangerous. 
If you're not really well grounded, the enemy can speak to you too. We have people that come and definitely they're hearing voices and they think it's God. Well, it can't be God's voice because what they're doing is weird. You know, God never tells you to do weird stuff. So I have to be very careful. We're not talking about that. We're talking about God speaking to you from the Word. And, and really speaking to your heart from the Word. And so he, he, the first thing they asked him, Richard Foster, to do is because he taught this. The people are saying, you know, I still don't quite get it. You know, I've heard you teach this, and, but I don't get it. And you can read the book and say, I'm still not sure. I've, if you've never heard listening prayer before or meditative prayer, you can go, I know it sounds right, but I, there's something that's missing. And this is what he said. Can you give me a simple, straightforward definition of meditative prayer? Prayer in general is an interactive communication that transpires between God and ourselves. Meditative prayer in particular is the listening side of this communication. We bring both mind and heart into the presence of God, and there we listen to the Lord. And then he tells you how he does it, which is so simple, so, so simple. Did you, your family did, or is everybody in here... I know you're all homeschoolers. I've been involved in a lot of homeschool, all different homeschool associations and so on. But are you all ATI or not all ATI? Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for your hearty response. I mean, you can put your hand up. I will not throw rocks at you if you're ATI, okay? But what I'm getting at is, if you're ATI, Bill Gothard sent one of the most important things I think he's ever put in the mail. And I called him immediately. I said, Bill, this is great. And it was how to get Ramus from Scripture. Do you have that? Oh, man. I should have brought me, but I figured you all would have got one here. It is so good because, say, get a Rama. Well, how do I get a Rama? You know, put your mind under the Spirit. How do I do that? You know, read with your spirit. Don't read with your mind. I don't get that. Sounds good, though. Sounds real kind of spiritual, doesn't it? Okay, well, this explains it. See if you can get it from Gothard and ask him, do they have enough copies to send you? These guys, can, Because that goes along with this meditative prayer. So I figured you guys had that. Because what do I do with the ramus? And that's what meditative prayer is about. And he tells you, and just this little thing here, how he reads the scripture, how he narrows it down, that God narrows it down, and takes a verse or maybe a truth out of that verse and begins to meditate on that. You're meditating on what? A rhema from God and allowing it to become a part of who you are. And it's beautiful and it's simple. Because when it's complicated, I wonder, is it really following the Lord? I don't see following the Lord complicated. You know, believe in me. It's not real hard. But it can be. You know what I'm saying? But he's not telling me to climb a mountain and jump over this and do that. I may have a friend that, uh, uh, he's a nut. He did an internship with me for two and a half years, like Paul has been here for. And he just climbed, what was the mountain? So Mount McKinley in Alaska? He's never trained to be a mountain climber. He and his buddy made it to the very top. Seven people died the week he was climbing, sliding off, avalanches, everything else. He climbed to the top. So, and he, he's, he's a real quiet type of character. And he, he's, I said to him, uh, I said, what are you going to do when people ask you why you climbed the mountain? He said, well, you could say I climbed it because it was there. 
Or you could say, I wanted to see what was on the other side. <laughs> you know, because if people ask you, you've got to have, right, have an answer for everyone to ask you the hope for why you climbed a mountain. Uh, <clears throat> right now he is trekking. No, I'll call him Friday. He's in Alaska. He uh, is a builder, saves all his money, and then does nutsy things like climbing a mountain and stuff. But he's going to a country, I, I'm not free to tell you what country, uh, but he's going to this country to do a 150-mile trek because when he's working in my office, he read a book that changed my life, Sadhu Sundar Singh. Some of the biographies that have really changed my life. And Sadhu Sundar Singh was born in India. And his mother taught him the Gita by the time he was six, which is a little longer than the New Testament. And he went to Holy Man and quoted it. Well, that, now I'm, I'm sure you didn't get convicted, but that convicted me. I had a son. Our son is five years younger than his next sister, and his oldest sister was 13 when he was born. And so I decided if a Hindu mother would take that kind of time to put scripture into a heathen kid, how much time am I putting scripture into my son? And I did. And I began, I developed what we call life notebooks. With him, the scriptures he memorized, he memorized chapters and chapters of scripture before he went to kindergarten. We didn't homeschool. Um, he had a burden for the loss. He led his first soul to Christ in kindergarten. The second one in first grade, the third one in second grade, and third grade. When we moved to teach at Calvary Bible College in Kansas City, we moved to an area where it was the figure six and houses, about 100 houses there. And he was in the fourth grade or fifth grade, some right in there. He said, Dad, could I go and witness to these people? This is our new neighborhood. I said, sure you can. You got any real good tracks? I said, yeah, people won't throw them away. They were, say, rang a doorbell. He said, hi, I'm Richard. I know the Lord Jesus. Do you know the Lord Jesus? You know, I, here, this will tell you how to know the Lord Jesus. Now, I didn't say you go out where you don't eat tonight. <laughs> you sleep in the basement with the Beatles. You know, <laughs> if you know, witnessed all these houses. I mean, it was from his own heart. By the time he got to high school, he led 300 and some people to Christ. And he's real, the sweetest heart you ever want to meet. Real sweetheart. He's probably got the gift of mercy or serving. He's not to bring him back a life type. You know, the prophet, <laughs> you know the kind, you're going to burn in hell. So are you if you don't get out of here. <laughs> you know, uh, it's amazing, the gifting, but God is using him today. I mean, I, he called me and told me what God is doing is unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's got a new ministry going, getting hundreds of thousands of dollars people are giving him to do this ministry. It's just mind-boggling what's going on. He adopted a ghetto. And they've been in this ghetto now, out of Houston. He's in the, still in his church in Houston. He was youth pastor there, but now he's outreach pastor. Reaching this ghetto, and it's, it's people all over are calling and saying, how can we do this? We've ignored the poor. How can we really have a ministry towards the poor? And so anyway, <clears throat> it's amazing what's going on. In, in Richard's life, he has such a tender heart for poverty. People that are re really poor, 
generally poor, not drug addicts, you know, not that kind of thing, but people are generally poor and they've adopted this whole thing and what's going on there is, is literally unbelievable. And then he's also working in other parts of the world. And it's just, but it's so thrilling to see that here was a kid we got from God and the reason he's different is because we started building scripture in him when he, as soon as he could begin to memorize. I'll give you his insight. We were out camping one day and uh, because the Bible said that fathers and sons never went up to Israel three times a year. So my church was at the Siskiyou Mountains, and we arranged three retreats for fathers and sons in the church. We go up Friday night, sleep on the ground, throw a salmon in foil, you know, a rig salmon in foil on the hot coals the next day. Guys would go out with their sons. I gave them a little simple Bible study. Even unsaved guys came because the kids made their dads come because it's so much fun. And you're maybe up here looking at lakes or a glacier or whatever. We did that three times a year, trying to get the hearts of the fathers connected with their sons. I mean, Jesus says, it looks like a good idea, you know, and a good place to do it. I mean, New York, where do you go? Central Park, and everybody gets, what, knifed or robbed? <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was really experienced, Dad. Let's go next. <laughs> I'm to wait the next time we go. But anyway, <clears throat> this time we only did two, so Richard and I did one by ourselves. He's a preschooler. And uh, there was a creek running, and uh, this, is, this is a beautiful 100-mile drive through these mountains, and there's no houses or anything. But if porcupines eat a tree, porcupines go as high as they can, then they eat a bark around, and from there up the tree dies. Wherever they eat the bark, the, the top of the tree dies. So you see, pine trees look real healthy, and the tops are brown. Well, Richard's, I'm cleaning up. Richard's sitting there, and he's looking at this tree. And he said, uh, Dad, remember in Psalms 1, remember he's like four years old, or four and a half. Dad, remember in Psalms 1, he says, you leave, all shall not wither. He's looking at this dead tree. He was talking about people, not trees, wasn't he? That's about to die. I thought this kid's getting insights at four years of age that some adults don't even know. To Psalms 1. He really was getting it. I can't tell you. That's one thing that my son can take the rest of his life is the scriptures that we built into his life.